0: This evening, as part of our uh, missions month and concentrating and thinking about missions and evangelism, uh, we're going to look tonight at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, so if you have your Bibles, would you please open them, or on your devices, uh, open that, or pick up the Pew Bible, and turn to page 1178, to Acts chapter 17, and let's... uh, Let's see what God has to teach us tonight uh, about evangelism, uh, about sharing our faith. Uh, I'm going to t- concentrate mainly on sharing our faith with your friends, with your people, with your neighbors, with the people around you. What, uh, what did Paul do and what can we learn from that? So now I'm going to read the, the chapter. Please follow along. Uh, beginning at verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollina... They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, And not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men from the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. But when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if, there were things, if things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing but except telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breadth and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries. Of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way towards Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance, But some of the men joined him and believed, and among others who were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we look to this passage tonight, would you speak to our hearts and let it help us uh, as we as who we have been given the Great Commission, as we who go out like Paul, Take the gospel. Take your message uh, into situations that maybe are new to us, as Paul did in this. In Christ's name, amen. Paul, to in the setting of this passage, Paul and Timothy uh, and Silas have left Philippi, where Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned. Uh, The the miraculous conversion there we have of the Philippian jailer uh, that you've possibly read about. God is at work. God is at work. His gospel is going forth uh, around, in, out into all the world. And Paul and Silas and Timothy move on towards Thessalonica and Berea and Athens. In each city, the message of the gospel is preached, and interestingly, it's received in a, a little different way in each of these cities. So as we go forth, we need to understand: not everyone's going to receive the gospel in the same way. They're not going to hear us the same. One person may be excited, one person may not. One person may want to know more, one person may not. So we need to understand that as we go out with the gospel, it's received in different ways as we proclaim it. So in when Paul comes to Athens, he encounters a culture that he's never seen before. We're going to look at that a little closer tonight. Like, how does he do that? This is the great Paul, yet here he is in a culture... That he's never been in before, and he's not known. No one knows he's it. He's out of his Jewish roots, so to speak. And we learned that you know one size fits all gospel presentation may not work. A one size fits all presentation. We need a solid presentation. You know we need to learn EE. We need to learn some method, something no that we can solidly hold on to and use. But one size doesn't fit all. So we need to be ready to. To tweak our message to the crowd or to the person that we 're talking to we'll look at that um, as we come to people and to learn to connect to them as Paul did what is what 's changed in the world today? don 't you think about that what is, what has changed from say twenty or thirty years ago? I can remember here at Trinity we had big conferences on evangelism and they taught this method or that method uh, to the people back then and we learned different things uh, but in the last say 10, 15 30 years um, what things have changed in our culture that affect the way we present the gospel and I'm going to try something here if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't but that's okay you tell me ah, interaction interaction you're in a pew can't say anything but interaction you tell me if you dare, if you can. What things have changed in the last few years that affect the way we present the gospel to people? Any volunteers? Pardon? The internet. The internet. Absolutely. The internet. People, identify as their sin. people identifying what? As their, sin. as their sin. I'm not sorry, say that again because I don't hear what. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. People's identity is tied up, particularly if you're, you know, the LGBTQ, whatever, you can't say, well, love the sin, hate the sin, you're absolutely right. Because that's part of their identity. So when you're attacking that, you're not just attacking, they look at it, absolutely right, you can get up here and say this, not as just their sin, but you're attacking them, because their identity is, is tied up into that. We would do that. If you were a great football player and I said football stinks, would that would be an attack on football, wouldn't it? On you, wouldn't it? What else? Anything else? Things have changed? Yeah, Fark? It kind of applies to the Internet, but the phone is always in front of their face. Or they have earphones or AirPods. They're completely not open to conversation. They're, they're focused on their phone. Okay. People are focused on their phones. Our phone is, is changing us. It's part of our culture. It's part of our life. It's here, okay? It's here. It's part of our lives and all that. And the younger generation are into it. I want to warn us on something. We old, Us old people, we have a tendency to say, oh, this younger generation, they're all on their phones. The millennials, they're postmodern. They don't care anything about you know, what used to be. It's all here and now and, and everything about that. We need to be careful here. We need to be careful because you know what? The younger generation, they're smart. And you know what? They're very thoughtful. And when you, offend, they, they, you say, oh, they're just offended because I talk about this. Well, you know what? They, they really feel. They're trying to work their way through things. A lot of our generation, and for better or for it, we just accepted things. People told us it was right and wrong. And praise the Lord that a lot of it was pretty accurate. But they're questioning their thinking. Uh and that's not a bad thing. And we need to understand that. That uh as we work with the young people, as we learn to work with them. Some of you employers, how do you, you know, have employees that are younger and it's driving you crazy how to work with them? Well, figure it out. Learn to work with them. It's not wrong. They're not wrong. I think our parents and grandparents said the same thing about us. But they are different. It's since two thousand and nine. The smartphone came out. They are there. Anyway, yeah, so the landscape is changing. The people we go to, structures are changing, family. Uh, so it's changed in the past ten years. Well, let's look at our passage. Uh, first, looking in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas and Timothy. Timothy was with them. He's not mentioned, but he was, we we're told later on. They travel uh, from Philippi to Thessalonica. It would have been a long trip. They've been beat up. They were, they were tortured. They were beat. So it's a very painful trip For them, they would have been recovering from prison. Thessalonica was a fairly big city on an important trade route. It was a free city ruled by local authorities. So as long as you didn't do anything wrong, the Roman government would leave you alone and you could rule things there. So we have two letters written by Paul to them that shed some light on the church there. We learned that the gospel took root. And it rang out in Thessalonica and to people. It was a success there Uh, in in Thessalonica and the Holy Spirit was working in them so they go to the synagogue Paul kind of said when he came to a town where's the synagogue and where's the prison because he usually started in one and ended up in the other uh, when he was there but he always goes to the synagogue so he's on his home turf so he's sharing Christ on his home turf it's easy sometimes for us to share Christ when we're on our home turf when we know the people we're with and things like that so he, he spends three Sabbath days there It's probably longer, and perhaps he was there three months, because he's waiting on some money to come from Philippi. Uh, And what does he do in verse, he explains and proves to these people. And who is his audience? Well, they're people that knew the scriptures. So he's going to people and explaining the scriptures to the Jews, and they knew the scriptures. Uh, It's sometimes easier for us to go to people that know the Bible. You know, when you can say, well, the Bible says, and someone says, well, where's that verse? And things like that, and they talk to you. Uh, we have, you know, a, a thing with them to we can share. It's pretty much easier. They knew the Scriptures, but they had an incomplete picture of what of who Jesus was. They knew the Scriptures. They knew who God was. They knew who Jesus was. But they had an incomplete picture of who he was and what the gospel was. And as we go to people and share the gospel, a lot of times we'll run upon people who they know all about, they know Christianity, they know who Jesus was, but they don't really know it all. They don't understand it. They have an incomplete picture of that. And It's so our job as we share Christ, as we meet with people, as we get to, to give them the whole picture. And when they get the whole picture, sometimes the lights come on and they come to know Christ. So in our evangelism, as you're talking with people, ask yourself, does he really understand the whole story? Or just part of the story? What can I do to enlighten this person more and to teach them more about Jesus Christ? Well, Paul teaches a suffering Christ, Jesus as Messiah. The Jews wouldn't have liked that too much. They had a problem with that. How can a Messiah, how can our Messiah be a suffering Messiah? He's supposed to come and liberate us. He's supposed to come and set us free. So Paul has to explain uh, to them what he means by all this. What happens? Some join in a great many Greeks and leading women. All sorts of people in the city come to know Christ. Come to know Christ. So then there's trouble. There'll always be trouble as the gospel goes forth. There'll always be trouble. There's always going to be some kind of opposition somewhere to God's word. Because why? What does Jesus say? Because the world hates you. The world hates you because it hated me. And as we go up for sometimes we're, we're like I've got this message that's going to help you you know you're sharing with your friend and, and, and like they're going through all this struggle and you're talking about Jesus and how Jesus can help and, okay, and they just reject it they don't want it you know, and it confuses us how in the world can someone not want Jesus well because the world is opposed to Jesus and how can someone oppose us because the world opposes the Lord Jesus Christ so they drag a man named Jason, who was their host, out. And an interesting phrase, these men have turned the world upside down. Wouldn't you, like, wouldn't you love to have that said about this church? This city is turning Montgomery upside down. Boy, what a revival that might come out. What a revival that might come out of, of this that, that someone would say, Trinity Church is turning the world upside down. God is working God is working in the, in this city. Well, Jason's arrested. He has to post a bond to be released. Paul and Silas are sent to Berea for their safety. Uh, and they brought out, though, there's another king. And he is unique. And he is unique. Well, in Berea, they go straight to the synagogue. They have no fear of preaching. They've been beaten already. They've been imprisoned a number of times. But still, what is their call? They're going to go preach. They're going to go preach. They're not afraid to go preach. So this is a different crowd. They're more noble. They receive the gospel with eagerness. They measure, the, measure the, the, the message against the scriptures, which is what Paul wanted them to do. He taught. He explained. He proved to them. He did that. This wasn't a one-off, hit-and-run message. He stayed there, and he taught. And as we go for as we talk with people these days, we need to... To realize it's not you know there are a lot of times when I was in college we went and knocked on dorms and there was one-off evangelism there, but you know for the most part what we need to do we spend time with people, we teach, we explain, we prove to them about the gospel. You know the sharing Christ is not about winning an argument. It's not about going just to win an argument with someone, but as one of my seminary professors said, it's about being ready to buy the next cup of coffee. It's about being ready to come back and to share with them, to get to know them, to talk about Jesus, to teach, to explain, and to prove uh, the gospel. Well, there's trouble there, too. Uh, and Paul is sent away, that Silas and Timothy remain, and he goes to Athens. You wonder, did anything really happen here, anything big? We have some letters about the church uh, to Thessalonica and Berea. We won't hear much of them again. But I'm of a mind to think that some things were happening. Sometimes, as we go share the gospel, we wonder is anything really going on here? Uh, Is anything going to happen as I share with these people? Uh, In 1912, a missionary, Dr. William Leslie, went to live and minister in the tribal people in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo. After 17 years, he left. He was a broken man, Uh, he was distraught, he was discouraged. Because he believed that he had failed to make an impact for Christ. He did not recognize, he didn't see one single convert at that time. And he died nine years later after his return thinking he was a failure. Then recently in 2010, a team led by Eric Ramsey and Tom Cox World Ministries made a sensational discovery there. They found a network of reproducing churches As as they said, as the article says, hidden like glittering diamonds in the dense jungle across the Kulu River from Vanga, where Dr. Leslie was stationed nearly a century earlier. God spread the gospel. God took this gospel. Sometimes if we go out, we think, nothing's happening. Nothing's really happening. What's going on? Is God doing anything? But God moves and God works as he will. As he wills. And he grows churches, and he spreads them as he wants to, as he wants to. We Around the world right now, in Asia where I am, churches are growing big time. God's at work. Things are happening in Asia and Southeast Asia and in India and in Muslim countries. It doesn't make the front page news. but God's at work, because the Holy Spirit works as He wills. And our job is to what? be faithful. To just be faithful and proclaim, as the old Campus Crusade saying was, evangelism is taking the initiative to share Christ and leaving the results to God. Been around for a long time, but it's true. We share and God works through His Holy Spirit. Uh, in Athens, Paul moves on, we move to Athens. Here he's outside his comfort zone. He's not going to a synagogue. Paul's going to have to take the gospel and figure out how to share it with with people that, they're not Jews. They don't have the Torah in front of them. Can he reason from the scripture? No, he can't do it. And a lot of times what God does is he puts us in uncomfortable positions, doesn't he? He puts us outside our comfort zone with people we're not really sure how to relate to or how to share the gospel with. What do you do when you start saying the Bible says, and someone says, wait a minute, I've never read the Bible. I don't have a Bible do that. What are you going to do then? You know, your Roman road kind of falls apart. And uh, how are you going to share Christ with them? So we had, and again, we need to have more than one game plan. We need to think about how we share with people who've never heard the gospel. He's in a place he's never been before. But he's with the people who are highly religious, but they know nothing of the Jewish God or scriptures. They tell him, we know nothing of this God. So the Epicureans, they denied God. Life is just Adam's and things they don't—a matter of atoms. What's before you is all there is. Meaning of life is simply what you make it today. It's any different from what we hear in the world around us today? The Stoics said there may be a God. He's just set things in motion, though. And if I can align my expectations with that, if I can just align my expectations with what the world offers and accept it as it is, then I'll be okay, and I won't be disappointed. Very similar to Buddhism, uh, which is just kind of accept what's coming your way and, and life is going to be okay, and you hope that there's better things, because what happens just happens. Um, and they said to him in verse 18, "What does this babbler wish to say? What does this babbler wish to say? It seems to be of a foreign God, of a foreign god. So again, how's he going to share with them? How is he going to share with these people? But what does he do? He walks around the town, and he gets to know it. He takes some time, and he walks around the town, and, and this was probably, this wasn't like overnight. Uh, he probably walked around for a few days, and he looks at the town, he looks at the people, and he looks at all these idols and things, because it says that he's he's saddened about all the idols are there. It's provoked him to that. There's so many idols there, and he was offended as a Jew, he's He's sad that these people are putting their faith in there, but he's doing what? He's getting to know the town. He's getting to know them. He's going to connect with them. He's trying to understand their culture, what we need to do. He needs to try to understand them and their world and their world. What do you know about the people that God's called you to share with? The people you work with, the people you bump into, the people people that that God puts you in contact with from day to day, need to understand them. You know, as missionaries, we run, and and, and our job is to understand the culture we go into. Do you understand the culture that you're in today and where people are? You know, this is important, to understand where people are, how they grew up, why they might have have left their church. Maybe you're talking to someone that, that left the church. Well, why? Why did they do that? What's going on with them? We have a church in Perth, and their, their mission statement is, they say, we're going to go and re-church people. We're going to go and re-church people. And so their philosophy, and what they're doing is they go to their neighborhood, because there are a whole lot of people, and you know people like this, they, well, they went to church when they were younger. They went to church when they were younger, and then they just stopped going. But they've got that background, they were there, and they go out and find these people and sit down with them, and they say, Why did you leave the church? Why did you leave? They try to understand them, where they come from. Were you hurt? Were you wounded? What's going on? And they built a whole church. They've got a sanctuary full of people now who have come back to church because somebody took the time to listen to them and to understand their position and understand where they were coming from in that. So again, Paul looks around, he understands them. Probably didn't find the unknown God right away. But he has an idea and a connection. So he connects with them. George Robertson points out in his study of Acts that here's what Paul did. Here's a method for us to connect with people, to confront their beliefs, and to call them to repent. So Paul connects with them, and he goes and reasons with them. He says that every day he's in the synagogue, he's there, and he's in the public. And he uses their desire to talk. And to reason, and they say we want to know war, more. We want to know more, so they take them out to the Areopagus, and some of you have been there in Rome, the the plain, the the place under the shade of the trees where he would talk, uh, and he debates with them, and he talks to them, uh, and he, about Christ and what God is doing, and he connects with them. You know, again. In our connection thing, sorry I'm harping on this so much. But we tend to rush in with the gospel message. We tend to rush in with a message sometimes when we really don't have informed a, a connection with someone yet. We really don't have informed a, a connection with someone yet. We don't really know much about them. We don't much know much about them. Now you may be wondering so, what connection points did I have? What connection points might there be for someone, for others? You may not think, well, I don't, I can't connect much with the people in my office. I can't connect much with the people in my neighborhood. Um, but there are plenty of connection points. Let me ask you this, parent: How many times did you feel like giving your child away after that fifth sleepless night? How many of you did? That's a connection point with the young mothers, with people around you. Student, how many of you live in fear of bringing home poor grade? I used to hide my report card. I even forged my mom's signature one time. And I was at Trinity Presbyterian School. (laughs) Fear of bringing home poor grade. How many of you feel you must succeed? You have to succeed or your parents will be disappointed with you. There's a connection point because everybody in your classroom feels the same way. You can talk with them. A single person, do you struggle with being single? Singleness is not incompleteness. We need to remember that. We need to teach that in the church. Singleness is not incompleteness. We sometimes feel that way. But it's a struggle for a single person. And there are lots of other single people out there, and they're struggling with the same thing. You can connect with them, you can talk to them. Husbands and wives, do you ever struggle to love your spouse? How many men in this room have ever struggled to love their wife? You don't have to put your hand up. I will. For all of us. How many of you wives have struggled to love your husbands? (laughs) Amazing some of us are still alive. But there's a connection point. There's a connection point there. You've got things in common with people. We're all struggling with the same things. Most people are just doing the best they can. Trying to get by, their are connection points for everything. When you sit at the baseball park, we sat in chairs for eighteen years watching baseball games, not to mention the soccer games. There's connections with other parents who were there. But there are other people around you. How many of you shop maybe at the same store? You ever talk to the checkout girl or guy? You know anything about them? They're there. I always love to I read their name tags. And I always call them by their name, and I ask them, well, how are you doing today? How long have you been on? At our old uh, supermarket where we used to shop, uh, I learned that uh, two of the checkout guys were in a band. One of the girls was in school. She was studying occupational therapy. I knew how old she was. I knew where she was going. I knew these other two guys, uh, you know, that they were trying to put a band together, and they had a recording studio, and they were just working here part-time. How did I learn that? Well, I just asked them when I was going through the line. There are people around you all the time that you can build relationships with, that you can learn their names. There's connections to everything. And people. a lot of people are struggling with the same thing. Steve Brown stood in this sanctuary years ago, gave a series of lectures on lots of things, uh, they're probably still in the tapes, I hope they are. But he said... I have what's known as the U2 ministry. And I said, what do you mean by the U2 ministry? And he said, well, when someone calls me, either late at night or sometimes they call me in the office and they say, boy, I'm struggling to to love my children. They're driving me crazy. I want to just lock them up. I don't know what to do with these teenagers. And he would say, you too? You too? You struggling that? You've got connections with people in your office and around they're all they all you're already connected in things just to talk to people about. If God is sovereign, then, as we used to say, everything is a divine appointment. If God is sovereign, then everywhere the where you work is divinely inspired or divinely ordained in God's providence. The people you meet every day, the things you are every day. Take the gospel there. Take the gospel there. And I say this, I mean, the next thing I'm going to say is gently, because I grew up in this church, and I grew up in the country club, and all those things, and they were great, and I loved them. But can we stop being embarrassed that God maybe has blessed some of us financially? Can we stop being embarrassed about it and say, you know what? God put me in this law firm. To do what? To share Christ with these people. God has given me a great career as a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, professionals. And and, and he has blessed me in that. And he's put me here so that I can share Christ with these people. Let's realize that everywhere we are, it's a divine appointment. It's a divine appointment. Well, Paul says they worshiped a lot of gods. And now let me tell you about this unknown God. Because everyone has a a concept of God. And then he confronts them. He confronts them, their beliefs, with an explanation of who Jesus Christ really is. So when we've connected with people, then we can confront them and we can talk to them about who Jesus really is. Let me tell you the truth about God. Let me tell you the truth about God, that's what he does. He explains who God is and gives them the story of the Bible, that he created all the nations and desired that people would seek him, um, that God would seek him. He connected with them, and then he confronts them. And he uses their own literature. He uses their own poetry for that. Paul was aware of, uh, he had read their own literature. And he connected with them through that. There's another avenue for us to understand that the literature of the world around us, movies and things. Your teenagers are watching all these movies. Do you know what they're watching? Do you understand them? Do you understand what they're about? There's great material there for us to talk to people. Uh, about Christ in, in all sorts of media around it Because they're living on their phones, and they're living on Netflix, and we are too. We live on Netflix and all these things. There's some great medium out there to connect with people. And then he calls them to repentance. He calls them to repentance. So he's spoken to them. He assures them of God. He talks about God's sovereignty. He gives a warning if they don't repent uh, to them, and he calls them to follow Christ. He warns them about what's about to happen. We can't share the gospel without going all the way and warning people about what's going going on, why they need to come to Christ. We need to tell them what might be ahead. Alan and I were uh, roommates in college, and we hunted a lot. And Alan had a, a Toyota FJ that we thought could never, ever get stuck anywhere in the woods about anything and we were hunting on our place down on woodley road and my dad said don't go down this road don't go down this road they've been logging there and you'll get stuck well we were 20 years old and invincible college students uh and we had a toyota fj cruiser and alan's like oh we can make it down that road we can do it so we locked it in and so you know about five minutes later we're stuck we're as stuck as we can be and it took a while and to get it out. I don't know if we had to go get pulled out or not. I don't think we ever pulled out. Maybe we got it out. But the warning was given. And when we share Christ with people, we need to to also warn them of what's coming their way. So what was their response? Some mocked. Some wanted to hear more. Some believed and joined. That's the responses we'll get. Some people mock you and they don't care. If they do, move on. Move on to the next person. There's plenty of people out there to share Some wanted to hear more, be ready to talk to them again. And then some believed and came to Christ. Our job is to share. Our job is to sow. And then God decides what fruit is going to grow and where it's going to grow. So let me conclude with a few things that we get from this. Don't underestimate the power of God. Wherever you are, you may think this person would never come to know Christ. There is no way they would come to know Christ. There's no way they would ever come back to Christ. Don't ever estimate the power of God because he works as he wills. Our job is to share. Don't assume that people have heard, really know the gospel. Don't assume that, that the person you know who grew up in church, that they really know and they've really heard the gospel. We need to know who our audience is to figure out how to relate to them to find gospel points of connection. We're going to have to be purposeful in that, folks. We're going to have to determine, I'm going to get to know my neighbor across the street. We're going to have a barbecue. You've got to be purposeful and get to know that person and connect with them and try to figure out how to relate to them. And again, let's don't write off the younger generation. Let's don't write them off because, you know, they've got a lot to offer. And they're going to be running this world one day. They're going to be taking care of you when you're older. But we need to to understand their world. Do you understand it? Where they're coming from? So all these men, Peter, Paul, Timothy, Silas, all these people in Acts, uh, they were people just like us. They were people just like you and me. Don't think that God can't use you. Don't think that God can't use you in a big way for his plan. Never underestimate God, because he can use you. Some of you think, well, I don't have a gift of this, I don't have a gift of that. God can use you. God can work. He uses people just like us. And then we have, need to have confidence that God does it all. We just take the initiative to share. So again, Paul is taken into a situation that he's uncomfortable in. What does he do? He gets to know the people. He comes up with a plan. He comes with how to share with them, how to relate to them. And God moves in God's work. We live in a changing world today. We live in a changing world today. It's moving and changing all the time. So as Christians, we need to be smart. We need to understand the world around us. We need to look at our gospel message and understand how to relate to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we thank you for Paul and his work. We thank you that he was obedient to you uh, as he took the gospel the world. Thank you for this example to us. Oh Lord, would you burden our hearts for the world, for Montgomery? Would you burden our hearts for our next door neighbor? For the person we work with? For friends that we've known all our lives? To share the gospel with them. Oh Lord, and we'll trust you that you will get the glory as people come to know you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.